Time to Travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with Dale Dodgen, business executive at the Siobhan's Battery at the V&A Waterfront, about this historical site which was only rediscovered in 1999. Councillor Gareth Bloor, Mayoral Committee Member for Tourism, Events and Economic Development in Cape Town will be with us again and this evening we'll be chatting about the upcoming Cape Town Jazz Festival. Food and travel blogger Anel Portgetter recently spent some time in Dubai at the start of their food festival and she's returned with some amazing insights into the life and food and all sorts of things that go on around there. Travel writer Kerry Harvey cruised her way around the Baltic recently and stopped off in Stockholm. By all accounts, it's an amazing city and she's back with us this evening to tell us about her time there. And then, just like my Law Report and Health Matters programs, there's now a short list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. And if you'd like any of those, post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. If you'd like to get hold of me directly, you can just email me at travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, the Siobhan's Battery is situated at the V&A waterfront in Cape Town. It was inaugurated in 1726, almost half a century after the Castle of Good Hope. Now, this fort was built to defend the bay from attack and continued in active service until 1860, when parts of it were demolished and reused in the building of the new Alfred Basin. The rest of it vanished beneath warehouses and later even a fish processing factory. Well, then in 1999, the Board of Executives obtained the site for its new head office on the clock tower precinct of the V&A waterfront, and they had the battery scientifically excavated. Dale Dodgen is the business executive for the Siobhan's Battery, and she joins me now. Dale, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Corinne. It's lovely to be here. Well, this is a wonderful thing. My listeners know by now that anything historical, and I'm all over it like a rash, love the thought of talking to you about this. So tell me a little bit about the Siobhan's Battery. I mean, what exactly? I mentioned a little bit about it, but it was, it's been there forever. That's right. Well, essentially, the, the Shivani's battery started out. What a lot of people don't remember is that the United East India Company was a company. They were the first company in the world to issue shares, and they were the first company in the world to have its own logo. Jan van Riewijk was a branch manager, and he was sent to the Cape to build a garden and a castle to sell the produce of the garden to passing ships. Because at the time, the, the shoreline was traversed by a range of visitors from the Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, French, English, the Swedes and the the Danes all coming past on the way from Europe to the east. So it was a good place to put a truck stop. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Well, as Willem calls it, a ship stop. A ship stop, yes. It was also served, um, so as visitors came into the bay to do trade with the castle, they had to come past the Siobhan's Battery, which served as the watchdog of Table Bay. It was essentially a long wall with 16 cannons on it, and because it was level on the shoreline, it could bear accurate, um, (coughs) sorry, it could bring accurate Uh, The cannons could fire at the ships 
on the shoreline level. Sorry about that. So basically, if they came and they were looking for trouble, they were not going to make it. <laughs> That's right, okay. because the cannons were on a stable platform and the ships were on a rocky sea. So the 16 big cannons were a formidable force to deter them. They were never fired, though, were they? Not in anger. Mm. There is one incident where a, I think it was a French ship, took the local governor on board and tried to escape. And they fired... <clears throat> A warning shot to prevent them from leaving the bay, but it was primarily used as a signalling service. For airships entered or departed from the bay, they would fire off rounds of cannon shots to signal that the arrival or departure That's of the ships. Right. So it was never there was never a sort of battle ensued, nothing like that. No. They were just there. No. And then they were there, as I said, for quite a long time. I mean, inaugurated in 1726, and then they started building the new Alfred Basin, which is now where the VNA waterfront is, and they just. Demolished her. I, mean, I can't believe they did that. Yeah, that's right. In 1860, diamonds were discovered and steam shipping, and they needed a deeper harbour. The British were in power at that time. So in order to do so, they dug a big hole for the Alfred Basin behind the Chavannes Battery, used some of the rocks from the Chavannes Battery and lined the Alfred Basin and essentially buried the Chavannes Battery, or so they thought. <laughs> and luckily, along comes 1999, B.O.E. Decides to have a new head office and um, excavates this amazing historical relic, if you like. That's right. And the the at the time they weren't very happy because they had to redesign the whole building to accommodate the Chavannes battery because half of it is outside, where they've uh, re the builders and the architects have recreated what the Chavannes battery looked like. So we have the ramparts with the big cannons on it. I'm sure people have seen it. I often see people playing on the cannons, <laughs> and below it are the casements, which were the rooms that were used for various purposes, including a isolation ward for smallpox during smallpox epidemics. The Chavannes battery served as an extension of the old Somerset Hospital for many years. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Now, I, I had a fabulous time. We went to see the Da Vinci exhibition, yes. and that they had at the Chavannes battery. They had it right there. So right. besides looking at all the wonderful things in the Da Vinci exhibition, you could also see parts of what is under, the uh, underground part of the Chavannes battery. That's right. We were very, very, uh, we've been appointed as service providers by Nedbank and the VNA Waterfront to manage the facility. Um, and we were very fortunate to be approached by the Waterfront to use the Chavannes battery for the Da Vinci exhibition. I don't know if we're going to be doing that again because we had to move all our exhibitions out and we had to move everything out and essentially put the business on hold for five months while wow. that happened. Um, but it was a wonderful experience for the team and also to create exposure for the Chavannes battery. It's very different now that we've put all our exhibitions back and as we get more exhibitions, we're constantly being approached with a, with um, from various people who have artifacts that they'd like to display and we take up being custodian of the space very seriously. We are in touch with Tim Hart, who's the archaeologist, and he comes and advises us on what we can and can't do in the space and how to display the different artifacts that, we've, that we're constantly getting and how to evolve. Because essentially when, when, when I started there, it was about the battery. But then I realized that's the only place 
that you can touch the sand of the original shoreline. That's incredible. That's the sand that Jan van Rubik walked on. And all our ancestors, Kritoa or Aoife, as she's known as, as um, Kori, all the, the, the first inhabitants, the sand and the Koi and the Quena people, all walked on that shoreline long before the Spanish and the Portuguese and the Dutch and the French and the English came along. So there's those stories that can now be told because there's a tangible space where you can touch the sand. And that's the stories that we're wanting to. We're wanting to look at the gaps in the narrative and collect and research all the different stories and then train a whole new generation of storytellers, teach them how to become storytellers and how to start and run their own businesses as storytellers in their own communities. That's what I really want to talk to you about is the fact that you actually have interns that come in for six months at a time and these are young people interested in the tourism industry who possibly studied it yes. for a little bit at college or wherever they've done it and then that you you actually have quite a number of them for yes. six months sort of at a time they come and learn from you at yep. Siobhan's. Yeah that's right we we Within our limited means, because we are unfunded, we rely entirely on door takings and people having events at the museum to, to sustain ourselves as an, ourselves as an organization. Um, we are a business, so we don't qualify for funding within the lotto, etc., etc. We, we, we are business and we're about trading and about having a business and entrepreneurial mindset. We are social entrepreneurs, so all the profit we make goes to youth development, which is our social cause. So we take unemployed youth. I worked in the recruitment for many years, so I'm very comfortable with the recruitment process. I um, And of course, we have we are very blessed to have very good partnerships. Uh, our main partners are the VNA Waterfront and Nedbank. And then, of course, we partner with Western Cape Economic Development and Tourism for their Work and Skills Program, which assists us with the learners. My um, other partner is CPUT. So, I um, through the network, we take in kids. We take in at 10 at a time, unemployed youth. The criteria is 18 to 35. They have to have matric and they have to be South African. Um, and during the six months that they're with us, I try and expose them to as much experiential learning opportunities possible. They get to go to conferences, to workshops, to um, Cape Town Tourism is also one of our other partners. So whenever Cape Town Tourism have a presentation, my learners go and experience that. So the main thing is that they're experiencing the tourism industry because they're the tourism players of the future. At the battery itself, they get uh, structured skills development and personal development. We have a variety of consultants that come in and volunteer their time to do workshops with, with the team, either uh, budgeting, conflict resolution, effective communication. We've partnered with Zeitzmacher, which is the new grain silo museum of contemporary African art. So we have a beautiful African art exhibition at the museum and Mark could see the director has come in and done workshops with the team where he has taught them art appreciation, how to guide at an art, art gallery, which now allows them the opportunity to apply for jobs that they couldn't have before mm. and give them skills that they wouldn't have had access to before. So it's about the skills, uh, the 
the providing them the workshops and then the work experience being at work on time making sure you have your uniform uh, uh, customer care understanding that without customer care without customers we can't run the business so everybody is very mindful of the fact that we have to do our very best and in the five years that I've been there full-time I've had one complaint and that was a 16 year old boy who said it was boring so I think we're doing okay and I, I have a lot of faith in our learners and in our team that that given the opportunity and someone to believe in them they can do it then once they've achieved all these skills within my network I try and find them jobs so for instance one of the learners at the moment <clears throat> is very interested in working is an orphan and he wants to travel the world so I've been speaking to the cruise line operators to find out from them what's the best process for him to follow to be able to get a job on a cruise liner one of the other ladies that we had, Zodumo, who lives in a in Samora Michelle, she's decided she wants to sell fruit and veg and bride meat from her shack. So we've assisted her with budgeting, cash flow, how to make sure um, that she keeps proper records, health and safety, all of those kinds of basics. So when we take the learners in, we firstly establish what it is they're wanting to do and then try and provide them the skills and experience and, if possible, qualification to be able to do it. And they always welcome back whenever we have a function. They can come and work as a casual over the weekends. Um, our big... <clears throat> My big wish list at the moment is uh, computers, so that I can have at least six computers, high-speed computers with Wi-Fi and a printer, and they can come and work online. I'm very big on online learning. I did a, a UCT digital marketing course recently, and I'm currently we're working on the SA Tourism offers an online course where you become a South African tourism expert, and it's open and free to anybody. So I want to be able to have that facility for them and they can just come in whenever they have free time and work on the computers so we have big plans there's no stopping you Dale I mean it sounds like you could it's absolutely amazing and I wish I could talk to you for longer but unfortunately we've run out of time but you're gonna have to come back at some point and talk to us a little bit more about what's going on at the Siobhan's battery and all of you listening out there if you are Cape Townian or if you're visiting Cape Town Definitely the place to go. They've got guided tours that run every day during the week. Well, seven days a week, actually. And there's also historical walking tours in the V&A waterfront. Definitely come and experience this. It is literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Dale, thank you so much for joining us on the show this evening. Thank you so much. We look forward to having all your visitors visit us. And all visitors get to wear a tricorn hat when they arrive, and they're encouraged to take photos. Well, that sounds fabulous. Dale Dodgen is the business executive for the Siobhan's Battery. And for more information, you can contact them on 21 416-6230 or take a look at the website it's www.chavonsbattery.co.za and that's spelled C-H-A-V-O-N-N-E-S chavonsbattery.co.za Time to travel with Karen Key well, it's all happening in Cape Town at the moment. We've just had the fire-reduced Cape Town cycle tour, which saw visitors streaming into the city. And now coming up at the end of this month, it's time once again for the Cape Town Jazz Festival. And to tell us more, I'm joined once again this evening by Councillor Gareth Bloor, Mayoral Committee Member for Tourism, Events and Economic Development here in Cape Town. Gareth, good evening. Welcome back to the show. 
Always lovely to be here. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you again. Right, so the Cape Town Jazz Festival, I, I heard something rather disturbing. Is it sold out? Am I correct? Uh, well, I know there is a massive race for tickets at the moment, so certain categories may have been sold out, but I encourage people to continue looking up. Uh, um, there also are other ticket sales going on on the internet and the like. But uh, as far as you know, there still are options uh, for some tickets that are available for the festival. Right, so it's happening on the 27th and the 28th of March at the CTICC. And I was looking through the list of who was going to be there. It sounds absolutely phenomenal. It's an incredible lineup that is coming. Uh, the announcement was made in Johannesburg because really that was the kickoff for the road to the Jazz Festival in Cape Town a couple of weeks ago. There are local stars, there are individuals coming in from around the world. Uh, some of those featured really are familiar names that we've known for a long time. And others are slightly newer on the list, emerging talent. But I think all in all, it's going to be an incredible lineup for the two days. And of course, not just two days where you're going to have to buy a ticket. The other important element is there is the massive free concert happening in the city uh, Grand Parade once again, which attracted 15,000 people last year. We expect the same sort of number. So it's not just one event in one space. It really is a festival for so much of the city, culminating in the main aspect, which is the Cape Town International Convention Centre, um, where much of the main acts uh, are going to be. Well, the the free concert for those listening, it's on Wednesday the 25th at Green Market Square, starts at 5 and goes on until 11. So it's going to be a huge party by all accounts. But Gareth, besides that, there are all sorts of other things. It's not only that. I mean, there's the photographic exhibition, there's the fashion festival, there's the golf day, there's all sorts of other things happening around this. They certainly are. I mean, the whole event is really just much more than the music. The music is a reflection, a very historic reflection and context of South Africa's history, and it's something so many people grew up with and resonate with. But you're also seeing the development and the evolution of the festival itself. And so, yes, there's the fashion element, there's the visual aspects that accompany music, uh, the creativeness that's coming through, and a lot of economic opportunities. There are various training sessions happening throughout the city. So there's also the chance for young artists that are emerging to start to mix and really learn from some of the greatest who've made it and who currently are featured in albums across the world and who we really look up to. So I think that it's a very important opportunity for skills transfer, in addition, of course, to the economic impact. You know, hundreds of millions of rands will be coming into the city. Already some of it is coming in in anticipation of the festival, uh, the thousands of people who are employed. So it really is the music that's at the heart of it. But so much else that's developed uh, as a result of what I think is an incredible organic growth of, of the greatest jazz festival certainly on the African continent, as certainly so many people have alluded to it, uh, particularly the stars will be performing. You mentioned the skills transfer and that, but you have the sustainable training and development is what it's called, skills transfer program. What I liked about it, though, is you're also including the schools. There's also a schools program as part of all of this. Well, definitely, you know, music ability, musical ability needs to be fostered from a very young age. And so working with the education department and other schools, I identifying that talent has really allowed for a forum where you're able to bring in school learners uh, and start to develop the love of music that exists, but into something that can translate into talent. You know, music uh, is a powerful, creative medium. And I think for many people, the dream to have a career, uh, not just in jazz, but in all sorts of genres, is a very real one. And uh, the talent that exists in South Africa is certainly enormous. And so we've got to foster that. And when you talk about something like a jazz festival, it's not just going and listening to the music, but ensuring that that entire event lifts up and opens up opportunity for the next generation to come through. So I think that
that is one of the most exciting components and certainly one which uh, I think is going to have a very long-term impact in the development of the Jazz Festival because it really is going to be guided and inspired by the local talent that we're going to see emerge within our country. Now, you mentioned the millions of rands pouring into the city over this time. Um, Tourism-wise, are we looking at a lot of beds being taken up over that time, hotels fully booked? What's going on as far as tourism in that, from that respect is concerned? We certainly are. I mean, if you just look at the artist lineup, uh, it reflects dozens of countries, uh, even though South Africa obviously features very prominently as does the continent. And so the following that these artists have really is global. And the Cape Town International Jazz Festival has developed that reputation of being a meeting point for jazz lovers. Um, and so over the years that have passed, there's just been a steady increase in that number constantly, and hotel bookings are up and really consistent with the overall growth in tourism numbers in Cape Town at the moment. So I think that's a very, very positive aspect of it. Many people are trying in other things. You know, they're using it as a business trip. Uh, it's, it's often a great way to, you know, if you're going to have a conference or have business within South Africa, to start out in Cape Town. It's a place to meet people, uh, to thank people, to reward clients. So there are all sorts of ways that the business community really sees the Jazz Festival as something that's important to, to be a part of. And it really has become a who's who in one sense in terms of just the number of people you can bump into in any given hotel lobby uh, in virtually any part of the city. So it really is an amazing, uh, amazing gathering of people from around the world. Do you find or would you know, Gareth, whether people come in for this sort of thing and then use it as a sort of a, a starting point to go and explore the rest of the country or do they mainly stay here in the Cape? No, it certainly does appear to be something that is a starting point for seeing the rest of South Africa. For many travellers who do come to Cape Town, uh, particularly those who travel a long-haul distance, and we're talking, you know, outside of, of Africa generally, there is a desire to add on a safari or to experience something in the north of the country, whether it is the Kruger Park um, or it's, you know, where humankind originated. There's a huge interest in the country as a whole. So very often you'll see people experience two parts of South Africa, and Cape Town is the starting point with the Jazz Festival having been the main thing that's brought someone here. But there is that onward travel that then goes uh, after the festival. So I think that's really great because many people know the Cape Town Jazz Festival as very much a South African event and an African event. Certainly the tone, the artist lineup, the legacy uh, really reflects that history. And so I think it's great for the country overall and the economic impact, like so many big tourist or tourism events, uh, or tourism offerings does spill over into the rest of the region. There have also been travel packages. It's a bit late now if you haven't booked now, but there have been travel packages bringing people in. So it's, it's really, it's really is the event of the season, really. It is. I mean, and the growth is just quite amazing. And some people, you know, and it's an important debate to have us said, you know, with the International Co- uh, Convention Center expanding and the possibility mm. for doubling of capacity, you know, do we want the Jazz Festival to become something so enormous and so big? Is it going to change the character of this festival that we've known having been coming for 10 or 15 years? And, uh, you know, I think that's a great problem to have when those are the sorts of Jeez. debates that one has about such an important local event for, for Africa um, and for, for South Africa as a whole too. So really exciting things that are ahead. And I think for those who are at the helm of the leadership uh, of the Jazz Festival, deciding the artist lineup, you know, they've really done well. I think uh, the media interest, certainly the most significant international press conference I've been to in a while, was the artist lineup that happened in Johannesburg. So big things ahead. This is one event that is only going to grow very steadily, um, and, of course, the lesson there is buy tickets soon, as you alluded to at the start of the show.
The one thing I was very pleased to see is the fact that the festival is friendly to otherwise abled visitors, which is very well, important. De- most definitely. For music to transform uh, boundaries as it does inherently, you've got to make sure that it can happen as well, just in practically enabling people to access this event. So very much friendly to anybody uh, who, who would be in that position. And I think that's so important because it's got to be something that you enjoy that's easily accessible uh, and where there's no limitation, no blockage um, from coming and enjoying one of the greatest musical events on earth. So that is an important component of it, and the CTICC is very much equipped to accommodate. I think it's some of the highest international standards you'll find anywhere when it comes to a, a massive concert. Well, it's, I, I've been talking to you so often lately because there's just so much happening in Cape Town at the moment. What's coming up next? Yeah, some of the other big events that are on the go, of course, there's the, uh, later on on the economic side, there's the World Economic Forum on Africa celebrating 25 years of this significant business, government, and NGO gathering uh, in Africa. So that's going to be quite an important one. But then, of course, there's still multiple events. You know, the city at last count uh, this year has got 1,500 events just that we have some involvement in. That excludes uh, what the private sector is just doing without coming to the city at all. So there's still quite a lot that's happening across all sorts of different spheres. Look out for a massive, massive announcement coming up on Friday this week. It's a major sporting event that's going to be coming to Cape Town with countries from all over the world. I wish I could say more, but I have promised the mayor and the premier I wouldn't say a word. (laughs) Um, But a lot is happening, and it's great for South Africa because every single one of these events in Cape Town puts the country on a map, and we very much promote that onward travel um, just as much as people who come to the Kruger Park or visit there are going to want to come to Cape Town to experience the wine and the ocean. It's such an important trend, and it's really one we should all be working together on promoting. Well, Gareth, it sounds like we're going to be having a lot more conversations in the coming year, but thank you very much indeed for joining me this evening. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Councillor Gareth Bloor is the Mayoral Committee Member for Tourism, Events and Economic Development in Cape Town. For more information on the Cape Town Jazz Festival, take a look at the website. It's capetownjazzfest.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. Anel Portget is back in studio with us this evening and uh, she writes the blog lifeisazoobiscuit.com and you need to look at her blog but when you've had dinner, don't go looking at it before you've eaten because you mm-hmm. will be starving once you've looked at the amazing <laughs> pictures of things on there. Anel's just come back from Dubai. Um, there was the Dubai Food Festival going on, mm. Anel. We did try and catch up with you there but we uh, had a bit of a problem getting through to you in the hotel. But do tell, what was it like? Oh, Dubai is an amazing place. You know, um, I always thought Dubai was like just a, a shopping paradise. But actually, the food culture is extremely strong. I didn't realize that. Dubai Tourism invited a few of us to go to the Dubai Food Festival. And they had all these fantastic things happening. But um, we, I went to all this stuff. But what was stunning is that I actually got to know the food culture. And that is actually what they wanted to introduce us to. Because everybody just think it's high rises. It is massive shopping malls and it is there but there's a wonderful food culture there as well the one thing that you did do i think it was on your first day and i have spoken to somebody else about this before when you went to the sheikh mohammed center of cultural understanding which the person i spoke to before said it's a wonderful way to introduce yourself to dubai you learn a lot about the culture about the people and it's one of those things that possibly if you're going to be staying for a few days it's somewhere to go on your first day to get a good idea of the of the city i agree with you i think if there's one thing 
that stood out for me, it was that visit to the uh, Sheikh Mohammed Center of Cultural Understanding. It is a very simple building, and inside they teach you what they eat, and they show you what they eat, and they talk about their culture as well. And then you sit on the big, this big flat carpet with beautiful red cushions. It's like Aladdin's world, you know, and you sit down, and then they explain the food culture, how they eat their food. So what they do there, and I would like to take you through our meal, because I really understand where these guys are coming from because they come out of the desert they like sweet stuff etc so we started off with the arabic coffee arabic coffee is big in dubai it's 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 not thick but it's just very strong and they flavor it with cardamom pots and with saffron and i asked them why do they do that and they said the cardamom pods is for your digestive system and the saffron is is an antibiotic Oh, okay. A type of antibiotic. Mm. So I was also surprised. So you get your coffee, but the guy that serves the coffee must always be very quiet. He's not, because this is a family meal and everybody needs to talk around. That's when they get together. And the guy that serves coffee and food never talks and he always gives everything on with his right hand. So he will have the coffee mug in the left hand and he'll pour your coffee and he'll put it, give it to you in the right hand. It's a sign of respect. And if you wiggle your cup like that, it shows that you what is finished with your coffee, and if you just put your cup from your right hand a little bit to the outside, they must serve you another cup of coffee. It's just signs of okay. the way they do things. And then they always serve dates, fresh dates. Oh, love dates. Love the dates, and they're so delicious there. I saw these beautiful dates hanging on the trees, on the date trees. It is just beautiful. Then always coffee and dates, that's the first thing. And then very interesting for me is, is their main course was a, a type of pilaf, like mm. a pilaf rice mm. with 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 um, lamb, and they had they rounded off with um, um, golden raisins on top, and with hard boiled eggs on the side. So I could see the Indian infant, the East's influence, you know, that you get everywhere in the spices that they use in there. The, the, uh, they don't use whole, uh, whole spices, they use grounded spices, and some, some other countries they use the whole spices. With this, they also had white rice, and then they had two different curries. And Karen, the piece de resistance, was this dessert. It was like round little fit cookies. What is little fit cookies? It's like a little dough. Like that a little dough thing. It's a donut. Like, like a, a donut. Small, mm. Like a small donut. But they make it with sourdough and yogurt. And I, and I actually searched for a recipe, but I still want to try this. But the inside is a little bit hollow, but they serve it, serve it with a thick date syrup. And then you get these little round balls, and then you actually take it through this beautiful thick syrup. It was just to die for. Just to die for. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. This was all at the Center yeah, for Cultural yeah, Understanding. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then we visited the museum. I love museums. Mm, um, the one thing that I did miss, though, is uh, these days in museums, I like it when they give you the, the headphones with the information mm. that you can actually understand because it, a lot of, yes, it is written in English and, and, and in Arabic, but it is difficult to actually follow something if you don't have all the history in your ears. But something that I did see there that it just blew me away is in Dubai they exported pearls years ago. It was a big thing, it was the pearls. So they actually showcased a guy diving down in like, I don't know, in the 1800s into the ocean with normal clothes on, just with a rope <laughs> around his ankles. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Going down to get pearl, you know, to, to mm. get 
it was just fascinating that they actually did that. But that is how they actually sustained their country. It was fascinating that they actually did that and they actually survived. Sure. I'm sure a lot were also didn't survive, but yeah, it, it's fascinating. And the other thing we did, um, this is now all foodie stuff, is we went on the Dow, on, on the creek. You know, the Dubai Creek is, an, is a man-made basically big river in Dubai and we had the privilege to eat with uh, Sanjeev Kapoor he's a very well-known Indian chef and he's also the master chef India is one of the judges oh, okay. imagine how big that mm. is oh, that's one of the most romantic things you can do so if you go there with a loved one go on the Dow but the only thing is they don't have any alcohol there for me mm. it's I love a glass of wine <laughs> that's one thing I missed was a glass of nice glass of wine with my meal on the boat and then I also attended the, the uh, uh, food and travel bloggers conference that was also interesting and they had these speakers from all over the world and they had I, I connected with bloggers in Dubai and with bloggers from France and with bloggers from all over the world and they gave us wonderful tips for if somebody's on social media just one tip and you've got your own business they suggest that you've only got two social media platforms that you don't have like that you don't do Pinterest and Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus, they suggest it's too. too much, so that yeah. is a, that's one of the big tips that I took away um, from the bloggers conference. And then you cannot go to buy without eating a camel milk ice cream. Oh no! When you used, took a breath after camel, I thought, I'm, I'm seriously not going there. Okay, camel milk. Okay, we carry on with that camel milk ice cream. Yes. Okay. It's it's something that you also find in the creek and shops, and you must just search for them at some of the souks. You will find these little stands with camel milk ice cream. It's it is very rich, sweet flavour. It's actually very delicious. I don't know why it's richer. I don't know why it's sweeter, but it's something that you have to try as well in Dubai. And the other thing I did try was a camel burger, Corin. so I must say, but it wasn't to my taste. No, well, I'll it wasn't. give that a skip if I ever get there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so yeah, we did all those wonderful things. And then the other thing that's outstanding um, is you go into desert to have a Bedouin meal oh that's nice that was fantastic mm. you know dubai's this whole concrete city and within 40 minutes you're completely in the desert and um to eat with a bedouin leader tribe leader he was our host for the day and they they translated he spoke to us and they served us we were there for breakfast and I just love the desert. Oh, it's like Namibia. I love that open space. Mm. And But we had a bit of a sandstorm. So I had lots of sand in my teeth. Good luck. My teeth are very clean afterwards. Okay. <laughs> and he told us something interesting. You know, that's why they eat sweet stuff they, that, that for breakfast. Um, because it's so hot during the day. They start very early, like 5, 4 in the morning. And then they work. And then they have a breakfast. And, and the breakfast that I tasted was completely foreign to me and taste that I didn't expect. It was like a pasta, like a vermicelli type of pasta. And inside it was like egg, like scrambled egg, and then honey. <laughs> Did you expect that, Corinne? No, I, was, no, I definitely <laughs> didn't expect the honey part. Yes, it's like honey. It's like the sweet concoction of pasta and egg and honey, and they, they eat that. And and then another thing that they eat is um, they love the herb zatar. It's a type of thyme. Oh, okay. But it's but it's a different type of thyme. You can eat 
the whole thing. Thyme is normally very strong mm. in our country. And they make pancakes with a za'atar for breakfast as well. So it's also one of their meals. Um, but I would really suggest to people to go to that excursion. They've got like a breakfast excursion. And then like there's this evening one as well. That no, you can... midday would not be good because it's way too hot. <laughs> no, yeah. it's way too hot. And I must say... Like um, the hotel we stayed in, the address is just if if you if you won the lottery. No, it, it, you're not saying the address. It, it's called the address. It's called the address at the Dubai Mall. Okay, I want to speak about the mall as well. It's just mind blowing. But the, the the address hotel is just I've never stayed in such luxury in my life. It is just uh, it is a beautiful place and um yeah if 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 it's extremely romantic and nothing is too much effort for those people. You know, we're except not... putting us through on the phone. <laughs> They thought you were stalking me at well, quarter to this 12. Is, this is my sound engineer who was trying to get hold of Anil in the hotel so we could talk to her while she was in Dubai and we just couldn't get through because it was very late there. It was quarter to 10 or half past, half past 9, quarter to 10. Here it was half past 11, quarter to 12 yeah. there. And they thought my poor sound engineer was stalking her and they wouldn't put him through. It was terrible. I had to talk myself into oblivion that evening trying to wait until we never did get hold of her. But so you're very safe there as a single woman, basically. Very, very safe. And, yeah, and, and, and they were absolutely amazing. And, and and the food in the hotel was also fantastic. Um, uh, I at the most amazing hummus, fatouche, and all the different um, Dubai dishes. So, uh, the, yeah, the, it's an amazing place. Um, now next to the hotel is the Dubai Mall, and you know I'm not a shopper, Karen. Mm. I'm not a shopper. I'm not. I don't love shopping. But I went into a bookshop. Oh no! See, that would have drawn me into the exactly. bookshop. Yeah. Now this is not like a normal bookshop. Oh. This is like. In South Africa, you get a book soft, say in Canal Walk. This is like 50 times that size. It's like a whole shopping center or a whole thing that's just a bookshop. And you know me and cooking, I love cooking yes. and traveling. So I'm going straight for the recipe books. And I completely got lost because the recipe section, recipe book section, is about as big as a normal, normal bookshop in South Africa. Oh. So you just like... And the books are just amazing. You can get anything there from French and Eastern and Western and American. It's just, and books that I've never seen in my life before. So I was in heaven. How much did you pay for excess baggage coming home? <laughs> no, I, I didn't pack a lot in oh, when I you, went. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, very clever. <laughs> I made sure. Very I was clever. about 15 Ks when I went. Really, really light. And then I, I just quickly want to touch on, on the the Buri Khalifa, the the, the, the the building, the the, the highest um, building in the world, all that is also a must. I went to the 148th floor, and it's just mind-boggling what the world looks like from the 148th floor. <laughs> that is the highest floor where you can have look mm. over Dubai. I would have loved to go. There's an Armani hotel there. I would have loved to go there, but I think they would have... Chucked me out with my clothes. No, you didn't have any more space in your suitcase now. Anyway, because I'm sure there would have been a gift shop or something in there. And then just another thing is, you know, Dubai's restaurants, uh, Karen, it is it is something that I've never seen in my life before. And I've been to quite a few. In uh, the, the restaurant sizes are so big that the volumes are like three, four story volume. Wow. And the interior, it is millions and millions of dollars. I did such an effort with that. And I went to two restaurants that I just want to highlight is Kibara. So if you ever go to Dubai, go and eat at Kibara's Q-B-A-R-A. If you spell it back, a back, if you pronounce it back, it's Arab, Arabic, A-R-A-B-Q. You know, so that's yeah, so it's, just so it's Kibara. And it is just a restaurant that blew me away. The interior inside is 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 made out of carpets and all the authentic 
Arabica stuff. You just get drawn into this world and you don't want to leave. And then the food has got like a modern twist to it. So, so they use modern cooking t techniques to highlight the Arabic and the Emirati food. And then the other one was is the Asado restaurant. We, and it's straight across the Burik Khalifa. So you sit there and this building is lit up at night. And you sit there and you just see this building. And they, it's an Argentinian restaurant and they do everything very Argentinian way. But also again with the Arabica uh, Emirati twist. Yeah. So, and then the souks, you have to go and shop in Dubai. I'm not a shopper, but... Um, you kind of have to. Yeah, you have to go and go to the souks and you have to eat a bit of the local food there as well and spend some money, you know. That's How long were you actually there? Because this, you, did, you weren't there for the entire food festival. No, I wasn't there for the entire food festival. A lot of the stuff that we were supposed to do um, got, the weather wasn't too good. Oh, we had okay. a few sandstorms and um, a lot of the stuff was open air and was cancelled. So um, there's a few of that stuff that we didn't get to do at all. The one thing that I was really sorry we didn't do it because it was a Dubai tennis tournament and we were supposed to be with Andrew Murray. Oh, okay. And that got stormed out, sand stormed out. And I just want to oh, tell you about a beautiful word that I learned there. They call it sun snow, the sandstorms. Because it's like so white, you wake up in the morning and it's all white. It's like snow, but it's sand. So sun snow. They call it sun snow. I thought it was a beautiful oh, that's amazing. description. Yeah, it is actually. Of I've what never heard I that saw. Before. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful description. Yeah. So I'm just looking at some of the photographs that you took. Are very colourful. Everything seems yeah. very colourful. Yeah, it is like pop in your face. Everything pops in your face. And they've got all the modern stuff, like food trucks they've got. You know what mm. I'm saying? And then they've got the old stuff. So it's a really a fusion. It's, it's a fusion of food. Dubai's 85% uh, of Dubai is made out of expats. Yes. 85. Yeah. So it's only 15% Emirati. So you can understand the fusion of food and cultures that's going on there from all over the world. So it's really a very interesting place to visit. Somewhere you'd like to go back? Definitely. I'm definitely going to pack my bags next year, 2016, and try and get to the food festival again. It's a month-long festival, so mm. that's nice. So if you plan February, the flights are anywhere, I think, a bit cheaper than over December and going there. And there's so much to do. They've got pop-up restaurants. They've got food trucks. They've got celebrity chefs coming in from all over the world. And it is really a taste bud experience. Well, if you're wanting to find out more about what Anel did and have a look at some of these amazing pictures, as I said, don't look at them until after you've had dinner because otherwise <laughs> you're going to be starving. And the the colours are just phenomenal. Mm. So bright and colourful and honestly, the pictures are, are incredible. And go and have a look. It's lifeisazoobiscuit.com. That's Anel's blog. So go and have a look at that. Anel has also been earlier this year tramping around in Zanzibar and in Shanghai, and she's going to come back and tell us all about that shortly. Anel, thank you so much for joining us on the show this evening. Thank you, Corinne. It was wonderful. I was chatting there with Anel Portgit, and she's a local Cape Tonian. She's a food blogger, and she's just spent some time in Dubai at the start of their food festival month. And if you'd like to find out more about what goes on in Dubai, have a look at dubaitourism.co.za, or take a look at Anel's blog for some amazing photographs and also the story of her trip there. It's lifeisazoobiscuit.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. Kerry Harvey's back with us this evening. She's a travel writer who's been cruising through the Baltic. And the last time we chatted with her, we spoke about the cruise that she was actually on. But she did mention then that they kept getting off. They kept going to all these amazing places. And one of the first places I think she went to was Stockholm. 
Kerry, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Karen. So, right, you got off this fabulous, you were on the windsurf cruise ship, as was, as you said, a very small, sort of almost intimate type of cruise. There were about 300-odd people. Um, and you got off in Stockholm, in Sweden. That's right. We actually started in Stockholm. The cruise was a circular one, so Stockholm to Stockholm. And so we went to, we flew to Stockholm early and spent some time there before jumping on the ship. And what a beautiful, amazing city it is. So tell me a little bit about Stockholm. It's not one of those places that we often talk about on the show because I don't think it's one of those bucket list destinations for many people. But from what you've been telling me, it sounds like it should be. It absolutely should be. You know, I think the the picture that most people have of Stockholm is all those flat facade, colourful buildings on the water's edge. And that's all true. But there's so much more to the city. It's actually it's built across a whole lot of islands. It's the start of the suite of the Stockholm archipelago. So I think um, Stockholm's built across about 14 different islands. So you literally hop between islands to see and do different things. And there's it's it's quite a quite a big city, but with not that many people. I think around two million people. About uh, yeah, there's only about ten million people in the whole of Sweden. But so much to see and do. It's it's truly amazing. There's there's really something for everybody. And the way of life there is is pretty, very different, I think, to what we used to here in South Africa. In every way, pretty much in every way. Um, you know, it's it's northern Europe, but you can actually drink water out of the rivers. In Sweden, including in Stockholm, you can fish in the rivers there and catch salmon and eat them. It's unbelievably clean and pristine. There's no litter. I'm not sure if it's if it's actually formalized, but they seem to live by a kind of do-no-harm principle. Um, they really don't do unto anyone else what they don't want done to themselves, that old age-old principle. And it really works. The society works. It's efficient. It's basically crime-free as well. So uh, quite an unusual place when you come from Africa. The one thing that they do there, which I wish we did more of here, was that they're very eco-friendly. I'm very big into the whole recycling thing and all the eco things. So nice to find a whole culture that's like that. The entire culture, it's, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. The people have an attitude of, of treading lightly, which is just amazing to see an entire nation live like that. They're very particular about their you know, their environment and their wild areas as well. Um, their forests are pristine. The landscape is absolutely beautiful. There's no litter anywhere, not in Stockholm or anywhere else. And I also believe, which I found quite interesting and, and progressive, is that by 2020, which, I mean, is effectively just five years' time, Stockholm is going to be a fossil-free city. If only more of us could do that. Yeah, so, you know, and bearing in mind they don't have solar power. <laughs> you know, that's, that's yes. not big when you're in Northern Europe. No. So they're using, they're using wind and water. It's the, working. The bottom line is that it can actually be done. It can be done. And, you know, we, we're talking about a relatively, as I mentioned, relatively small population that are just living in the most amazing way. Before you got on the ship, though, you did pop into the ABBA Museum. I mean, they must be Sweden's most famous export. They absolutely are, and the museum's spanking new. It was only opened last year. I have no idea what took them so long to do it, but it is wildly popular, and it's absolutely awesome in every way. It's, it's quite interactive, too, so you can get on the stage and sing with ABBA. <laughs> um, or, you know, they have a, a little dance hall where you can dance. It's 
it's absolutely like Disneyland for adults in in a way, but it's enthralling and there's all, you know, from the very beginning of ABBA when they started, even before they actually got together and formed ABBA, what they were doing before, and their whole journey as ABBA and the whole museum is actually underground, which is quite fascinating. And it's designed to look like backstage and almost, it has almost like a warehouse feel, but they you know, metal steps. And I think, yeah, it's, so it looks and feels like you, you're on stage or backstage all the time. There was also a very interesting museum you mentioned called, I think it's the Vasa Museum. Yes, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm not a huge museum fan, but Stockholm has some absolutely prized ones that can't be missed. And the Vasa is one of them. Very easily recognizable on the on the Stockholm skyline because the masts of this restored boat actually, building is built around the ship and the masts go through the, the roof. So you can recognize them. Um, the Vasa was a old wooden sailing ship built in the 1600s and it was the sort of pride and joy of the of the Swedish Navy at the time but it didn't last very long ago very far it actually sailed for about 20 minutes I think and then promptly sank (laughs) in the harbour of Stockholm but it was underwater for over 300 years and was then retrieved and restored and so you can see it in all its glory it's absolutely perfectly perfectly preserved but obviously quite a process to get it you know back in uh, back together and and you know back into shape but um it's well worth seeing i know you mentioned you weren't a great fan of museums but we have to i have to ask you about the alfred nobel museum yes no well abba the visa and nobel would be my certainly my top three to see and i think they're probably they're around 80 museums oh, okay. 80 zero <laughs> i would Stockholm. be i would be in absolute heaven <laughs> the zimbabwe museum i think apart from obviously the you know the the name and prestige attached to it is just such a, a zen museum for lack of a better word and so perfect for for people who can't deal with museum overload it's very very simply laid out and you can actually take in everything that's in the museum. I don't know if, if you know, but Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. Yes. And this was kind of his peace prize was mm. to offset that. But um, what the Nobel Museum does have, which is fascinating, is that overhead they have, well, on ground level, they have very few exhibits and they're all very simple and clean. But overhead they have almost like a railway track running that has a sheet of of paper or poster with the photograph and information on every single Nobel Prize winner. And this little track just runs overhead very, very slowly. So I think if you you sit and want to see and read every single one, I did try to see Mandela, but didn't. (laughs) It would take you at least the entire day. You mentioned all these museums. How did you get around the, the city? I mean, you were obviously there for a while. So how did you get from place to place? You know, it's particularly easy to get around Stockholm, um, even though you, you need to island hop. Um, it's not a, not a problem at all because the public transport system, the buses, the metro are so efficient um, and so good. And, you know, their buses running every couple of minutes. Um, if you want to do the public transport thing or otherwise, Stockholm, like uh, many big cities, including Cape Town for that matter, has a hop-on, hop-off sightseeing bus, the red mm. um, open-top buses, which takes you past, you know, all the 
all the must-see places in Stockholm. So that's that's another really easy way to do it. But really not hard to get around the city. I found it quite fascinating. Four o'clock in the afternoon, special time to stop for something called, am I correct in pronouncing it, Fika? Correct, yes, Fika. When we got there, everybody was talking about Fika and I had no idea what it was. You thought you and had to go to the bank and get yourself Fika or Rika or whatever it was. You exactly, know? Yeah. exactly. <laughs> So at around four o'clock, everyone stops dead no matter what they're doing, and they break for fika. And fika is quite simply tea or coffee, usually coffee, because the Swedish coffee is excellent, and cake. And the cake of choice is kanelbollen, which is cinnamon buns, and or otherwise tiny little pieces of, of very ornate cake, um, often with marzipan and, and that sort of thing, but beautifully you know, beautifully presented. And no matter what people are doing, that's what they stop for, and they just take a breather, and I just think it's something quite lovely and genteel. It's very genteel <laughs> in your middle of your busy day. But talking yeah. about things genteel, you went to a very old town called, is it Gamlestan? That also sounds like it's sort of almost stuck back in those quieter, peaceful times. Yes, Gamlestan is it's actually, um, it is the old town of Stockholm. So it's where Stockholm started. And it's also, it's on an island, of course, um, a rather big island. And so all the... Or a lot of the historical buildings are there, like the Royal Palace, for instance, and they also have a, a changing of the guard. What's interesting about the, the Swedish royals is that they actually work for their money. They actually have jobs and they earn salaries. The Swedish king also, I was told, doesn't vote. He doesn't actually cast a vote. They, the royal family is extremely popular in Sweden. I think possibly also because they don't cost the Swedes anything. Yes, they that's work probably for their makes, money. makes them very popular, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Gamlestan is the old city within Stockholm. It's on, on a hill and, it's, and the streets are cobbled and they're beautiful, tiny little shops and antique shops and nooks and crannies to, to browse in. But it's, um, you walk, you know, it's walking around the old town and that's particularly sort of enjoyable and, and captivating. The, the buildings are all painted in different colours of sort of ochre and yellows, sort of honey colours as well. So it's, it's a bright, happy place to be. Now, we, we mentioned last time we chatted, you, you were doing this as one of the, the, the stops. Well, you said it was a start more, other than, more than a stop. Um, when you were on the windsurf, you were cruising around the Baltic. Um, for South African tourists, what do we need to know if we're going to go to Sweden? It's visas, that sort of thing? Yes, just a Schengen visa. That's, that gives you access to Sweden as well as all the other uh, many countries that are you know, on the Schengen list. In other words, all the EU countries. So that's all you need. That and an air ticket and go, but really do go. It's absolutely beautiful and so much to see and do. And also for the whole family. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's attractions and um, different museums and activities for, for children as well, because you can also sightsee by boat. It doesn't have to be by road. Any of these uh, things sort of that you've been talking about in, in Sweden, in Stockholm, are any of those sort of part of the the cruise? I mean, can you organize sort of land excursions in Sweden with them? Yes, they do. They do pre and post cruise options for accommodation and also they will help you assist with different tours that you may want to do. So that's also definitely an option. So, you, you know, you can just ask for that or I'll give out the website now and the phone number and then people can call up if they're interested and make their own inquiries about what if they want to add on bits here and accommodation there or cruise 
an excursion somewhere that they can all arrange directly with the company? Absolutely can, yes. Great. Well, you've still got two more destinations I want to talk to you about, the uh, Arctic Circle and also St. Petersburg, which is my passion, my actually bucket list destination of note, but not now. We don't have any more time, so we're going to have to do this again. So would you mind popping back? I'd love to, Karen. Thank That'd you. Be great. Thanks so much. I was chatting there with travel writer Kerry Harvey, and if you'd like to find out more information about what she's doing, where she's going, you can have a look at her website. It's kerry-harvey.com, and that's k-e-r-i-harvey.com. And for more information on cruising, on the winds, she was oh, – hang on, let me, let me just do that again so I can cut this out. Kerry spent some time, as we mentioned earlier, on windsurf and if you'd like to find out more about cruising in the baltic or about this fabulous route that she's been on you can have a look at her website it's cruises.co.za and there is a number here in south africa it's 011 327 0327 011 327 0327 and you can find out more information on cruising this route on Windstar and Kerry was on the ship Windsurf but if you'd like to find out anything about cruising in the area just give them a call 011-327-0327 and the website cruises.co.za and that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And a reminder, if you need any information about something you've heard, Facebook is Travel on SAFM or email me travel at safm.co.za. I'll be back with you on Monday with the Law Report. I'll be joined by attorney Marlene Portgitter, and we'll be talking about social media and employment law. So join me then. It's time for Stephen Kirk now and some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.